yes, last sermon of the year, that sounds weird saying that, in Galatians. Uh, we're going to spend three weeks, like I said, focusing on the birth of Christ. And then uh, Troy is going to, to preach that last Sunday in December. And I know he has something special planned for you. We're going to be away in Oklahoma visiting family that week, Lord willing. So Galatians chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 16 and 18 this morning. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. All right, let me read the word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a much needed word. It's always a much needed word for us. We need you to recalibrate our hearts to remind us that If we walk by the Spirit, then we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And Lord, sometimes it feels like the flesh is just winning all the time. And so we need the help of your Holy Spirit, even now this morning, to keep us fixed on you and to listen carefully for your word that we might respond to it with willing hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's this old uh, Native American legend, kind of a story that that floats around, still floats around today. It's the story of this uh, Native American chief, this older chief who was mentoring a group of young braves. And he was trying to teach them about that struggle that we all have going on inside of us. And he described it like this. He said, it's kind of like two dogs who are fighting inside of you. Maybe some of you have heard this. One of them is a good dog that wants to do the right thing. The other is a bad dog that wants to do wrong. And he went on and he said, sometimes the good dog is stronger and seems to be winning the fight. And sometimes the bad dog is stronger and seems to be winning. And after he said all this, one of the young braves asked him, he said, well, which dog is going to win in the end? And the chief answered, the one that you feed, the one that you feed. So often, I think we find ourselves disappointed or discouraged by our inability to be the person we want to be. We know we can be something so much better. We, we find disappointment when we're not the disciple of Christ that we think we should be. We're not following Jesus with the same amount of fervency that we wish we could. We, we have this longing in our inner being to follow Christ with all our heart, but we find the flesh winning and winning and winning. Whether it's laziness or lust, jealousy or judgmentalism, anger or avarice, we feel like the flesh seems to be winning more often than anything else. We may get discouraged and we might hope for something better to be true, but we don't always know exactly where we're supposed to turn next. 
So maybe we make New Year's resolutions or we, we come up with ways that we can do better, but we don't turn to the one place where Paul tells us if we go here, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul tells us here in Galatians 5, 16 through 18, that there is one sure path for overcoming the flesh that so often fails us. In fact, he says, if you do this, you will not. Do you see that? You will not. This is a promise. Will not gratify the flesh. And what is the way that he's talking about? Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When the most compelling force in your life is the Holy Spirit of God, you, underscore this, will starve out the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I want us to hold on to this this morning as a promise from God. This is a statement where we can say with absolute guarantee that as long as we are walking by the Spirit, in so much as we are walking by the Spirit, we will no longer be controlled by the flesh. And so what I want to do with the time that we have this morning is I want us to, to consider three truths that will help us hold fast to that promise. Three truths that will help us hold fast to the promise that if we walk by the Spirit, the flesh is not going to win. And then at the end, I want to just offer us some really practical instruction for what it means to walk by the Spirit. Because that can be such an abstract concept. How do I walk by the Spirit? So at the end of the sermon, I want to give us a number of ways, according to Scripture, that we do walk by the Spirit. The first truth this morning, though, is this. The Holy Spirit displaces lesser pleasures with lasting treasures in Christ. What does it mean that we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the flesh? It's because the Spirit is displacing lesser pleasures with lasting treasures in Christ. I wonder how many of you here this morning have things in your past that you once did with great enthusiasm and a lot of excitement and they consumed a lot of time that you no longer really have any desire to do anymore. Does anybody have anything like that? Some way that you, something that occupied your time that now just kind of seems like, meh, don't really care. Well, when I was a kid, that thing for me, and this goes beyond childhood, that thing for me was watching Sports Center. You know that sports highlight show on ESPN? I used to watch Sports Center religiously. I used to get up before school in time to watch the morning edition of Sports Center, make sure after the evening news that I would watch the evening edition of Sports Center, and then if my parents let me stay up late enough to watch the Sports Center episode before I went to bed, because I needed to be up to date with everything that was going on in sports at every single moment of the day. In fact, this was really confusing to Erica on our honeymoon because in the course of our honeymoon, she learned about my addiction to Sports Center. And one morning, I woke up and I started to watch Sports Center and and she just I think assumed that it would be over in about 30 minutes and we could get on with our day. 
The great thing about SportsCenter in the morning though is it just keeps replaying over and over and over again. So about two hours later, as I was beginning to memorize some of the lines of the anchors and beat them to it, she was like, is, is this show ever going to end? And that's one of the points I think when I started to realize, yeah, maybe this is not a great way to spend the marriage. To this day, or at this time, this moment in my life, I never watched SportsCenter. I don't even really even care to watch sport. Maybe if I'm traveling and I flip through the channels, oh, I tune in for a little bit, that it just doesn't have the same interest that it once had. So what happened? Did SportsCenter become a lame and boring show overnight? Some people might actually debate you on that today. It's not what it once was. But no, I don't think that's what happened. What happened was I found something better. I found a better way to fill my time. And one of the ways I found to fill my time was just to spend it with my wife or to spend it with my children or to give it to new passions and new pursuits, which I found to be far more satisfying in the end. We need to understand as Christians that the Christian life is not about foregoing all goodness and all pleasure in life. Some people think that when you become a Christian, you just sign up for a life of suffering and there's no reward, there's nothing else beyond that. And it's true that when you become a Christian, you do enter into a life of suffering, but that is only for the purpose of drawing your heart off of those lesser pleasures and drawing them to the supreme treasures in Christ. It's instead about having our palates increasingly awakened by the Spirit of God to the superior pleasures of God, trading in lesser pleasures for lasting treasures in Christ. C.S. Lewis described our contentment to gratify our flesh like this. This has become a really famous quote. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite while infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased think about it why is it that people so badly want to win the lottery And yet we have so many stories of people winning the lottery and becoming depressed and even wanting to end their lives. Why is it that people long so bad to be famous, maybe as kids, and then they get and they reach that lifestyle and they hate it. They hate what it has become. Why is it that I crave dessert on Thanksgiving Day and after I eat it, I still want more. And if I do eat more, then I end up feeling miserable In the end, you see, the flesh is never able to make good on the promises to satisfy your deepest desires. Understand that. The flesh will always fail you in the end, whatever it is. The flesh is a liar. And kids, if you don't listen to anything else after this part in the sermon, just remember this. The flesh is a liar. The Spirit of God is not flesh is a liar. Only God can bring the lasting fulfillment that we are looking for in the deepest places of our heart. 
Which is why the psalmist says in Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ Jesus, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because you won't want to anymore the more that you walk by the Spirit. See, when I meet older saints, when I have the privilege of being in fellowship with older saints and spending time with them, some of them in the past couple years, just in those last few weeks leading up to their death, those who sense that they are drawing nearer and nearer to death, guess what I find those who love Jesus wanting to do more and more? They want to read the Bible, or they want me to read scripture out loud with them. They want to pray, and they want to gather with other saints and just talk about the glories of Christ. Does that seem like an odd activity to you? In fact, I was just thinking this morning of, of Helen. You know, Helen has been in this rehab facility and we haven't even been able to go in only to, to come up to the window and to knock and to call on the phone. But, you know, you, you ask Helen over and over again, like, do you need anything? Do you need anything? The only thing she's told me in the course of this time that she needs is when she didn't have early on in that rehab process, she didn't have her Bible and her daily bread. And she said, can I just have a Bible? Can you just get me a Bible and the daily bread and everything else will, will take care of itself. Now, why is that? Why is it that it's when people are closest to sensing the weakness of their flesh, nearest to an eternity with Jesus, that that's all they want to do? I think it's because when you start to realize just how inadequate your flesh is to bring you any lasting satisfaction, it puts everything else in perspective, just how badly we depend on the Spirit of God for life. See, they've reached the end of their lives where they are more aware of the failures of the flesh and walking by the Spirit, they no longer care to gratify the desires of the flesh. Which reminds me of that song, one of my favorite hymns, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So you may be frustrated because you're thinking, well, why does it take a lifetime in order to finally get this, to grasp this? Well, why is it that I have to have some kind of close brush with death or some other dramatic experience in my life in order to sense just how weak my flesh is? Well, Paul explains the reason for that in verse 17, if you look down. He tells us that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. You ever think about it like that? The desires of your flesh are actually opposed to the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to to do, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh is opposed to the spirit, and the spirit is opposed to the flesh. They are at war. And the second point this morning is you cannot win the war for your heart. You cannot win the war against the flesh without the spirit. You cannot win the war against the flesh 
without the Spirit. You see, we can't just passively hope that we will all of a sudden, poof, in an instant, become just like Christ, as long as we are immersed in the world and living according to the flesh. The flesh will always feel like it's getting the upper hand. Paul talks about this experience of this war, this battle going on inside him between the flesh and the spirit in Romans chapter seven. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Does anybody feel like that? Is that an experience you can relate to? Paul, the super apostle, the mega apostle, experienced the same thing. The evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He goes on to say, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I want to please God in my inner being. I delight in the law, but I see in my members, that is my flesh, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Brothers and sisters, understand that if you belong to Christ, that doesn't mean from the day that you confess Christ as Lord, from then on, you will never, never, ever struggle with the flesh or never, ever struggle with sin. Understand it means now there is a war going on inside of you because the spirit has come in, which is against the flesh and the flesh still wants to fight against the spirit. You remain in a fleshly body, but the spirit is the armament God gives us to win the battle. Do you treat each day as if the stakes are that there is a war going on within you? You can go to war each day with a water gun and a plastic shield and just get shellacked and destroyed. And I think some of us do that when we just go headlong into our day without prayer, without time in the word, without even giving thoughts to God. It's like running into battle with a water gun and a plastic shield and we're just about to get pummeled. And we shouldn't be surprised at the end of the day if we feel discouraged because we've gone to battle like that. Or we can go to battle each day with the armament of the Almighty God, walking by His Spirit. Friends, you cannot win the war without the Spirit leading you. But here's the good news. Here's the good news that if you are in Christ today, if the Spirit dwells in you, then you have the power to choose Christ and the power to do that which pleases God each day. Number three is that the Spirit gives us the will to win. The Spirit gives us the will to win. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Paul is saying here that if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, if you are a new creation in Christ and His Spirit dwells in you, then you no longer need to be motivated merely by the fear of hell and the terror of the punishment of the law. You don't need that anymore as your sole motivation because you have his spirit living inside you. You no longer need the law in the same way that a racehorse needs a whip to win the race. You see, the spirit causes you. The spirit changes your affections. The spirit increasingly changes your desires so that you want 
to win the race, so that you want to run, so that you want to finish strong. I don't know if any of you here have ever gotten into distance running. Maybe a few of you have taken it. And when I say distance running, we'll just say anything over a mile or a mile and over. If any of you have ever done that and you went from being out of shape to, to, to becoming this distant runner, you may have at first had that experience of painful, out of shape, throat burning, side cramping running where your only motivation was either to, to lose weight or your failing health, or maybe there was a drill sergeant screaming in your ear to keep running, threatening you with more punishment. But for those of you who have ever stuck with it beyond that painful part, you will know that there comes this point in your training when you begin to crave the run. When you actually look forward to running, it's a delight to you because you love the feeling, you love the high that it brings you to run. And you feel like you could run for miles and miles and miles. Now I know that might sound really weird to non-runners. If you've never experienced that, you're just gonna have to take us at our word. But running can even become an addiction to some people, even an unhealthy addiction to some people. You see, in a similar way, when you are walking by the Spirit of God day after day after day, what you will find is that obedience is no longer merely out of duty, merely to avoid painful consequences, but obedience becomes a joy. It becomes something you look forward to doing. I look forward to reading God's Word and seeing what it has for me so that I can do it and walk in His pleasure. It's the high that we get from delighting in the Lord, experiencing the perfections of his purpose for our lives, living our lives according to the joy-giving specifications of our master designer. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think John Piper kind of uh, paraphrases this as, love God and do whatever you want. <laughs> Which is like, wait, whoa, hold, hold on, wait a second. But he's saying, if your affections are set on God, if they are set on Christ, then you can do whatever you want, because what you want to do is the things which please God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will begin to change your desires so that you want to please him, not so that you feel like you have to just out of mere duty or mere fear of punishment. If there's one thing that I really want to be clear on, I really want to be known for teaching in this church as part of the wholeness of the gospel of God, it's that when Christ defeats sin in your life, when Christ comes into your life and begins to conquer the flesh, obedience is pleasure. Obedience is delight. Obedience is a thrill to those who love God. Walking by the Spirit is supreme satisfaction. Running hard after the heart of God is a delight to all who love Him. As the hymn says, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus 
than to trust and obey. So friends, let the Holy Spirit lead you to live the victorious life. And I intentionally want to use that term this morning, victorious life, because that phrase itself has taken on such a wide range of meaning, sometimes unhelpful, not so helpful meanings. Victorious life is not about driving around in Ferraris and living in mansions and having lots of money. You see, when we walk by the Spirit, we gain victory over sin. Lesser pleasures become displaced with endless treasures in Christ. That's what it means to walk in victory. Obedience becomes a delight. A greater awareness of the war that is within us spurs us on to a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit to win the war. That's what I mean by living the victorious life. And so as I promised, I said at the end of the sermon, I wanted to offer us some very practical instruction for how it is that we walk by the Spirit. How do we walk by the Spirit? Now that, admittedly, that can seem like a very abstract idea. If I just were to close and say, therefore, walk by the Spirit, you might be like, okay, but can you help me out here? Does that just mean that I, I, I'm supposed to stand here and wait around for a voice in my head to whisper something about what I'm to do next? I think I've, I've heard a lot of people who will attribute a lot of different things to the leading of the Spirit, some things that are just downright offensive. People might say, well, well, the Spirit led me to tell you to give all of your money to me. You might see somebody on TV saying something like that. Or the Spirit, I think the Spirit led me to have an affair with that one who is truly supposed to be the love of my life. Or somebody might say, the Spirit led me to take out a loan in order to afford the Corvette. Or the Spirit led me to just give up on the church altogether and to do the Christian life on my own. First of all, know that the Spirit will never lead you to do something that contradicts what He has already spoken in the Word of God. Be sure of this, the Spirit will never lead you to do something that contradicts what he has already spoken in the Word of God. If someone ever says to you, the Spirit told me to do this, test it. If somebody on TV says, the Spirit led me to tell you this, test it. Here's one way from 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and it now is in the world already. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's the Spirit of God. So I want to offer seven principles this morning, in closing, seven principles for how we are to walk by the Spirit. I want you to forget all those notions that the Spirit is some kind of fuzzy voice that is more like 
a voice in your head that tells you which house to buy and what color to choose. And I want you to think about these explicit biblical principles about how to walk by the Spirit. Number one, walking by the Spirit is always walking in a way that says, in word and deed, Jesus is Lord. Walking in a way that says, in word and deed, Jesus is the master of my life. Jesus is the one who saves me from my sins. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul says, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If you want to walk by the Spirit, walk in a manner so that everyone around you, those who are closest to you, your coworkers, your friends, and the family, would look at you and say, I know who the master of that guy is. I know who the master of that gal is. It's Jesus Christ. There's no question in my mind. Walk by the Spirit. Number two, walking by the Spirit is walking with a readiness to respond to God's Word. Walking with a constant readiness to respond to God's Word. If I were to give you a recipe, and I said, if you follow this recipe, you will experience the most delicious chocolate chip cookies you've ever tasted. But then you go off and you kind of tinker with it and you leave out some ingredients and you come up with your own thing. Should you be surprised that it's not all that you hoped for? Likewise, the Spirit has already written a book for life. If you want to walk by the Spirit, take him at his word. Take him at his word and you will experience the best that God has for you. James 1.22, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. And then, of course, we have in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man, happy is the man, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. On it he meditates day and night. Walking by the Spirit means walking with a readiness to respond to the Word of God at all times. Number three, walking by the Spirit means employing the gifts that He has given for the good of the church in order to bless the church. We're told in 1 Corinthians 12 again that, that each one of us who is in Christ has been given a manifestation of the Spirit to be used for the common good to be used to bless the body of Christ. The Spirit is the one that incorporates us into a body. He doesn't save us and then leave us out on our own. He incorporates us into a body. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are slave or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. There is no Lone Ranger Christian if you are walking by the Spirit of God. Anyone who is walking by the Spirit is connected to the body of Christ, which he purchased with his own blood and loves and nourishes and cherishes. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Every one of you who is in Christ has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, the way to walk by the Spirit is to use it 
to be a blessing to the church. So ask yourself, am I serving with the gifts the Spirit has given me? Number four, walking by the Spirit is being devoted to prayer. Walking by the Spirit is being devoted to prayer. In that famous armor of God passage in Ephesians, you get to the, first you have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, the belt of truth. You've got all these awesome, this this awesome illustration of the armor of God. You know what it concludes with? It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Gets very specific here, not just prayer in general, but making supplication for all the saints with all perseverance. If you want a a very sure method to get your mind off of the the flesh and to keep you from becoming preoccupied with yourself and being caught up in yourself, start praying for all of the saints around you. Make a list. Ask them what's hard in their life. Ask them what's encouraging them and begin to pray for them. And I guarantee you will begin to see things you have never seen before as your mind is drawn away from your flesh and to the things of God. Pray for the saints. Be constantly devoted to prayer. Number five, walking by the Spirit means grieving over and getting after sin. Grieving over sin and getting after sin. And what I mean by this is first, we need to grieve over our own sin because Jesus promised us that when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the main functions of the Holy Spirit in our life is to convict us of sin in order that we would turn our hearts to something better, to turn our hearts to God and ask for His forgiveness. Walking by the Spirit means we need to grieve over sin because we grieve over anything which keeps us from the best that God has for us. It also means that we can't just grieve over it. We need to get after it. We need to kill it. We need to do something about it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, Paul says. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, Romans 8.13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, that's an active going after sin that he has in mind there, put to death by the power of the Spirit the deeds of the body, then you will live. Then you will experience the abundance of life that God has for you. And then later on, not just grieving over our own sin, but grieving over the sins of those brothers and sisters around us and loving them enough to do something about it. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, You who are spiritual, so you who have the spirit within you, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. But if we love our brothers and sisters, then we should love them enough to not be okay with blatant sin in their lives. And we should get after it, point them back to Christ, restore them and say, Follow your good shepherd. Number six, walking by the Spirit is having assurance 
that you have been adopted and that you are sealed. Walking by the Spirit is having the assurance that you have been adopted and sealed. In Romans 8.15, we're told that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. The Spirit is the one that reminds me, oh yes, I belong to God. I want to do what God wants for my life because the Spirit is in me. I've been adopted as His Son. I have a relationship with Him and I don't want to disrupt the sweet fellowship that we have. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This means that if we are walking by the Spirit, we need to let the relationship be the basis of our fellowship. Meaning when we do sin, when we do give in to the flesh, when we do fail, not to run further from God, not to get discouraged, but to say, oh wait, my status as his son has not changed. I've been sealed with his Spirit and to run to Jesus and to find grace and mercy there. Finally, number seven, walking by the Spirit means bearing witness to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And I really mean here bearing verbal witness to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This is for the unbelievers that God has put in our lives and also for our fellow believers. For the unbeliever, it's this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is still going on today. You who are in Christ have received the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the power of Christ in your life, to the gospel of his salvation. But it's also for the believers who are sitting right around you this morning. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And this has a continua- continue, continual sense of the word. Be continually being filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So what does it look like for me to walk by the Spirit? In the context of brothers and sisters, it means addressing one another in psalms, scripture, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks, acknowledging God's goodness in your life always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean to bear witness to Jesus Christ in the context of your fellow believers, in the context of the church? To encourage one another with scripture. To sing songs of your hearts in congregational singing together, which is why we do that on Sunday mornings. To give thanks, to, to acknowledge God's goodness in your life. And to submit to one another. To send your will under the will of someone else's so that they can grow more and more like Jesus. So seven ways 
I hope you wrote some of these down. Are you taking note? Seven ways that are explicitly called out in Scripture for how we walk by the Spirit. This does not have to be some fuzzy idea anymore for you, what it means to walk by the Spirit. And again, Paul gives us this promise, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the flesh. The more you taste the sweetness of the Spirit-filled life, the less you will want to gratify the flesh. The more that you will find that those former things that once enticed you and pulled you in and looked so attractive to you and whetted your appetite are even repulsive to your sight and dull to your taste buds. Brothers and sisters, walk by the Spirit.